there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome back to another episode of T4C. If you're looking for a dose of inspiration, and frankly, even if you're not, you're going to get it from my next guest because his life story and his mission is to inspire millions of people to believe in themselves so that we can all tap into our own superpowers in order to save the world. And I promise you, this isn't going to be one of those esoteric discussions way up in the clouds, unless, of course, the cloud you're thinking of involves technology and AI. But before I introduce you to Yarrow Craner, the human equivalent of the feel-good hormones serotonin and dopamine, I want to make sure you've signed up for the Java Junkies Journal. That's time for Coffee's weekly newsletter that we blast out on Mondays to give you a sneak peek at the amazing professionals we're going to be featuring that week. Just head over to the Time for Coffee website at time, the number four, coffee.org and sign up. And while you're there, I want to encourage you to check out the rest of the website, especially the homepage where you can search the professionals you are most interested in listening to by career. Now, my rocket fuel-loving superheroes, grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated brew, because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my remarkable next guest is Yarrow Craner, the founder of Hatch and H360 AI, an Aspen Institute fellow and named 2015 Top 100 Creatives in the U.S. by Origins. As a filmmaker, Yarrow has directed projects for Sir Richard Branson, The Rock, P. Diddy, and other international brands. In 1999, Yarrow created the original online community called Super Dudes, and that was three years before MySpace, enabling users to create online identity, profile, friends lists, and to play online games. The platform connected and empowered real-life superheroes, because Yarrow believes there is a superhero within all of us. And user engagement was higher than any other youth destination at that time. The community grew to one and a half million users by 2003, when it was acquired by Fox in a bundle with MySpace for $580 million. Six months later, Yarrow founded Hatch, which is a network of influencers accelerating progress on solutions for global challenges. We're going to be talking about all that and more. Yarrow, welcome to Time for Coffee. I have to ask you, are you caffeinated and ready to go? Andrea, I am caffeinated. I grabbed a cup of coffee just right before this, so I could be caffeinated and ready to go. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So what is your favorite coffee to have? Well, I have an espresso at my house. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Makes it easy. A couple double espressos with a little bit of protein powder and I'm good to go. Oh, a man after my own heart. I can't tell you, Yero, just how excited I am to speak with you. I have spent the last day or so reading up on you and watching videos, your TEDx talk and videos of Hatch. And I want you to know I am so inspired and humbled by your audacity to dream big and by your beautiful spirit. Oh, Andrea, thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. And I, I've had a chance to look through your work as well. And I feel like I'm in beautiful company. So thank you for the invitation. 
It's my pleasure. Before we get into Hatch and H360 AI, I would love for our listeners to learn a bit more about you because I know your childhood had a profound influence on the man you are today. And as is the case with so many of us, of course, our childhood influences who we are. But I think with you especially, it has influenced what you're doing professionally. Would you mind sharing an abridged version of your childhood, maybe beginning with when your mom left your dad when you were just a little guy, and I think she had 25 cents in her pocket? Interestingly enough, I just learned this story from my mom last year in a conversation that we had. But my father was an artist, and he would create these incredibly large pieces of work and then knock the walls down and take the art out to go try to sell them in the city and staple some plastic up. And it was winter and she had a one-year-old and we eventually moved to an inner city in which we were the only were the only people not of color in that neighborhood. And it wasn't really safe. And my dad also had some challenges with mental health and schizophrenia. And, and so it was a scary situation. And at, at one point, she just said that she was going to the the grocery store and had me in her arms and 25 cents in her pocket and walked out and never looked back. And I was two and a half years old and she ended up stopping at a payphone and calling the only person that she knew in this new place that they had, or the area in Denver and proceeded to sleep on couches and work three or four jobs cleaning houses and got herself a car. And then we ended up moving up to Minneapolis where she put herself through her family's first college degree. And then we moved to Montana where she did her grad school. And the whole time, like none of this ever felt really that unusual to me. It was always just an adventure and interesting. And I didn't really have enough context at that point. But her first job out of when she graduated from grad school, and I was really excited because I thought we were moving on up in the world. And, and her first job was on an Indian reservation called Rocky Boy, which is kind of near the High Line where Montana meets Canada. And I was the only white kid in the whole school. And they called me a little custard. And I got chased home every single day, and it was kind of a form of <laughs> entertainment for them. And we moved away after eighth grade, and I ended up running into some of these kids when I was a sophomore in high school, and I kept growing, and they stopped. And I just remember so vividly that moment of like, wow, I could really, I could really take my revenge right now. And there was like a flashcard of just years and years and years and hundreds of years of hate. And as a young person in high school, I just I remember having this revelation and realized that I'd been given a rare gift that as a white man with blonde hair, you almost never get to experience racism like that. And I ended up just walking up to those guys and saying, good to see you. And then just kept walking. That was the last time I saw them. But when you were saying, Yero, that they chased you home every day, they sometimes caught you and beat you up, right? Oh, yeah. One time my mom walked in to the bathroom and I was brushing my teeth and she saw these footprints and scratches and so forth on my back. I never really wanted to share with her what I was going through because she was having a hard enough time just trying to make ends meet. So it was no joke. So when you say you were always attracted to and have always been attracted to the fringe liars, you've also described it as you've been an underdog your whole life and that the underdogs are counted out and it's up to them to elevate themselves. There's a certain amount of capacity that you have control over. And obviously, there's a lot of circumstances that you do not have control over. But a mindset shift is a huge 
step forward in changing your scenarios and being able to, and it's not easy. Like it takes a lot of willpower and imagination and belief that if you can envision something further out in front of you, that you can manifest it. And it's a mantra that I've always kind of held dear to instead of, I'll believe it when I see it. My mantra has always been, you'll see it when you believe it. So to believe something, to manifest that is when, when you do coalesce that vision in your mind, like all of the molecules in your body and all of the, the whole universe starts to conspire to help make that happen. And they talk a lot about that with professional athletes and visualization and so forth. But I think a lot of times people forget to ask the universe for something. And, and when you do, ask yourself for that as well. There's a lot of chemical ripple effect that happens that starts to move in the direction of that becoming more possible. So where did this whole idea of everyone having a hero or maybe a superhero inside them come from? How did you go from being a kid who was severely bullied for many years to having forgiveness for those people, maybe even empathy, to this incredibly audacious and beautiful concept? My mom taught art at my high school when we ended up landing in a place for longer than a couple of years. And she taught art. I always felt kind of creative, but I had made my mind up that that was not for me. And so I would walk the absolute longest way around the high school to just avoid seeing her in the hallway, to avoid <laughs> anywhere near the, the art room, art classroom and so forth. And I ended up getting a scholarship for wrestling and, and football in, in college, which I did for two years. And then on a summer break, I walked through campus in my hometown of Bozeman, Montana, Montana State University. And I walked through this new building, which looked intriguing, and it was happened to be the film building. There's all these cameras there, and it was like a light bulb went off. Of course, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I am a filmmaker. I started film school and graduated. My last year of film school, I started a production company. So rather than trying to wait for a job, I just started, you know, I had this kind of realization that people could actually pay me to practice my craft. And so we started to commercial production company and won a bunch of awards and topped out pretty quickly in Montana, at that, especially at that time, it's a bit different now, but there weren't a lot of people that could afford to pay us the, what we wanted to charge because we were shooting on film, not video, and you have to send it to LA and there was it's a lot involved. And so I ended up moving to Los Angeles and I was convinced I was moving to the epicenter of creative geniuses and I'd be inspired every single day. And I got to LA and I was there for about a year and a half, two years, and I was at this Hollywood Hills party, looking around the room, and everyone kind of looked the same. They were they looked beautiful and successful, and I felt like I didn't really fit in. And I walked outside and looked up at the stars and just said, where are they? And I thought I said it in my head, but I, I said, where are they in my head? And, and this voice out of the middle of nowhere says, who? I was like, whoa, <laughs> <laughs> where did you come from? And I looked around, like it's physically on this massive deck. How did that person even arrive right there without me seeing it? And and I started talking to him, and he was a composer that was visiting from Czechoslovakia that was teaching deaf kids how to read and play music. It just stopped in my tracks. I hadn't heard anything that interesting since I'd moved to Los Angeles. And I had a ton of questions around you know, the, the physics of it and how it worked, and do they find enjoyment in it, or is it just purely for the enjoyment of others? And, and we talked for a long time that night, and it was, I went to sleep that night, just like, wow. You ask the universe, and boom, there it is. The next day, waiting in line for coffee to get caffeinated for the day. I ran into a person I started talking with. He was a scientist 
who was on this team to piece the ozone layer back together. And again, just stopped in my tracks. Like, is it working? Like, how do you bond ozone to ozone? You're literally saving the world. You're like a real life superhero. And had a long conversation with him about this. And then the next day I met this woman at a grocery store who was bagging groceries and then offhandedly says that she goes after work and donates time at the local soup kitchen. And I was like, wow, like what an amazing human being. And one by one, I just met all these stories over the course of a couple of weeks and woke up with a real lightning bolt moment on a Sunday morning and just realized that I had said, where are they? And suddenly they started appearing out of the shadows, out of the woodwork in all these different various forms. They weren't all superstars. They're not all there was teachers and educators and scientists. And the realization for me was when you're trying to do something that's kind of borderline impossible, it's hard and it's tiring. And it's and at this time in 1999, there wasn't social media. There wasn't a real easy way to go find these inspiring stories and gain strength from them. And so I set out to go find as many of these incredible real life stories of heroes as I possibly could, connect them together in a web of peer to peer support, but also utilize that as a platform to this next generation that to find there's exceptional people among us. And you just have to shift your lens and, and see it in others, and also see it in yourselves. And so the idea of be your own superhero and the secret society of these real life superheroes, which sounded kind of comic booky, but it wasn't. It was all based on real life people, was born. And so I got some friends together and we started this company. And the whole premise was really simple. It was through a series of questions we would ask people to identify what it is that makes them unique, what the world needs most, this kind of intersection of what you're gifted at and what the world needs. That's that Venn diagram right there, that cross section is your is your real life superpower. Ten years later I learned that there's something called the Ikigai, like I-K-I-G-A-I, ancient Eastern philosophy around your purpose, your reason for being, and and which is similar to how we stepped people through this process of defining and unleashing your inner superhero. And what was interesting was I, I recently met a fellow who's the author of The Alter Ego Effect, and there's a bunch of data and science around this now, but just the idea that you have one small veneer, like this, this thin layer between you and this alter ego empowers you in a way that, and Todd Herman was the author of that book, but it empowers you in a way that, that we didn't see coming. It was kind of unexpected. And so as we would go to children's hospitals and schools, and we did a whole stay in school program with Shaquille O'Neal for a year and a half, and, and we talked to them about tapping into their real life superpowers and kind of defining that, again, like all the the molecules in your body start to conspire to manifest that best self. And we would see this happen over the course of months and, and a year and a half or so of watching these people manifest, these step into it. And it, didn't, it wasn't even just kids. It was like executives and CEOs of companies. And just by virtue of being asked to define that best aspirational self, you start becoming it. And it was fascinating. We started getting letters from child psychologists and teachers and parents about how my kid is autistic and couldn't do this. Now you have completely empowered him through this process. And the way that the model worked was you create your own character with your face on it, write the story. You have your nemesis as well, because only you can defeat you just like real life. And then you play these games that would gather these points called knowledge nuggets. You'd rise up this karma counter through these different phases. You know, you're incentivized through these prizes that we had with deals with Sony Music and Second Man Skateboards. And there's an incentive to get famous at the top of this and become part of 
the real life trading card deck. And then we had a, we were working on a TV show with Warner Brothers that we wanted the kids to be able to, your character could be a cameo in. But that was all just to kind of incentivize them to get moving up this karma counter and play these games, gather these points. But the real, I thought, kind of the beautiful part of the model was you would get a prompt at level two that says, how do you save the world? Start with where you are. Type in your zip code. You type in your zip code and you're given 10 things you can do within a three-mile radius of where you live to instantly impact your backyard. And so we started sending people out into these, you know, into their neighborhoods and communities to do park reclamations and neighborhood cleanups and tethered into a volunteer match engine where we're sending people in to volunteer at local nonprofits and read books for the elderly and bag groceries and so forth. And it was a powerful, the thank you letters that started coming in from people was really beautiful and unexpected. And at that point in time, I, I literally thought like, wow, how lucky am I? I found my purpose. And I have some really talented friends that they haven't. And they're still kind of wandering around trying to figure out how to point their own superpowers. But right about that time, we had that acquisition offer. And I felt like we were right at this inflection point, this turning point. And, and I voted against the acquisition. And everyone else voted for it. And I didn't have to do 1% of the company anymore. And so we were acquired. And I was pretty depressed. I felt like someone had just kind of snatched snatched my purpose away and went back to Montana to kind of figure out what was next. And it was about six months or so that I just realized that no one purchased your purpose. That was just a brand. And purpose was still to go find and connect real life superheroes together in a way that they could accelerate each other's work. So that's when that's when Hatch was born. Was that around 2003? Yes, exactly. Okay. How did you start it? Can you break it down for us, Yaro, kind of in broad brush strokes? How did you get it from concept to proof of concept? Most of us will have this moment happen in their life where you, you're humming along, you got it figured out, and, and suddenly something very unexpected happens. And the perspective shift for me, and this has been one of these things that I've learned to, to try to, to go back to and rely on throughout the rest of my life is maybe what you thought is still the same, but it's just shifted. It's, it has a different color. It has a different lens. It has a different. And so the idea that, wow, my purpose was just taken away from me is like, well, of course, no one can do that. It's impossible. Like, it just takes a different form. And so you have to step back, reevaluate, shift your perspective and figure out what form will this purpose take now? And maybe the world needs it in a different form. Hatch also has gone through what it is right now didn't start off like that. So where is Hatch today? What does it look like? And could you give us an example? Maybe doesn't have to be the most successful, but maybe one of the more interesting results of all of the cross-pollination that takes place. Like I love that you use the word cross-pollinate. It's something that we kind of obsess over. It's the cross-pollination of different minds, disciplines, industries, perspectives, generations. There's very few rooms that I think you can go sit in where there's, there's a NASA astronaut on your left and a 16-year-old on your right that's got two patents on turning human waste into electricity. And those that cross-pollination, we believe, and there's now, interestingly enough, we're 15 years into Hatch, and there's a lot of data that's coming out to support some of these, the thesis that we've been kind of building our brand off of or our movement off of is that diversity is what's going to solve challenges. You're going to have a more difficult time solving a challenge if you don't have more diverse perspectives in the room. And so we've always curated diversity of perspective, diversity of experience is what will 
accelerate solutions for some of these challenges that we're currently facing. And so the cross-pollination and the creativity, the creative mindset and the problem solving is one of the things that we like to say are kind of tongue-in-cheek. If an asteroid hits Earth while we're in the middle of one of these hatch summits, there's enough diversity in the room to move forward and start a new civilization. You can't have 100 CEOs, you can't have 100 athletes or 100 of any one thing. You need to have a really diagonal kind of swath of humanity to have the right stakeholders at a table to work on solving some of these global challenges like climate change and education and gender and race equality and moving from this kind of individual transformation to peer-to-peer mentorship and to world global innovation, that human development happens through diversity. And, and that's, that's how we curate for Hatch. So what would you say, just to help our listeners have a picture in their mind right now of the kinds of solutions or the process that is moving in the direction of a solution that Hatch has hatched? I'll work backwards. The Hatch Mexico, which just happened a week and a half ago, we divide up the groups into these breakout sessions. And to give you an idea of what this particular cohort, and they're all different, but they're, they're very much in alignment with the UN Global Goals, the SDGs. That For anyone who doesn't know what that is, the, the United Nations used to have something called the Millennial Goals. Now they're the Sustainable Development Goals. Gender and race equality in education, clean water, those are all top of mind. And so this last lab summit hatch that we had, we do these design sprints that happen over the course of three and a half days. And one of them was on anti-recidivism and creating opportunities for people with criminal histories. Another was taking farmers and creating climate warriors. And there's through some technology and harnessing you know, organic fertilizer, there was one around education, there was one around arts for equality, there's one around migration and refugees. We're doing one with a group called Solva Flow around ocean plastics and solving plastics that infiltrate in our, our oceans. Composer meets a game designer at Hatch and creates something called Compose Yourself, which is a way to create music without ever having a music lesson. And that also, the byproduct of that is there's critical thinking skills that happen as a result of that. And that was on the front page of the Wall Street Journal. Dr. Victor Potato, who's the CEO and co-founder of, or the founder of World Enabled, teamed up with an actor named Matthew Lillard and did a, a video around inclusion and accessibility for cities of the future. Another inventor, David Yakos, who's been inventor of the year now for toys, met that game designer at Hatch and created this maker studio, which is you know around STEM and STEAM learning, engineering for young people. It's just There's a lot of really cool things that come out of these summits. Some of them we kind of have an intuition that a couple of people will really resonate with each other and potentially lead to collaborations. But then there's so many that we have no idea who is going to connect with who and how they're going to ripple off of each other. You know, the idea of spending a thousand hours to put a hundred people in the room and for what? It's like the goal, the hope would be that those hundred can then through their collaborations impact the lives of a hundred million. And so those are the metrics in which we're trying to hit and track. Fantastic. So, Yero, for our young listeners who are college students, grad students, and young professionals who may be struggling right now, they could be struggling to keep up with their schoolwork or struggling to figure out how to pay for college or to pay off their college loans. 
maybe even struggling with depression, feeling overwhelmed, and won't have the opportunity, at least not in the very near future, to participate in an experience like the one you just described in Hatch, Mexico. How can they find their superhero inside themselves? That's a beautiful question. I spent a lot of time by myself and finding, almost kind of recruiting people to be positive influences on me. And I was put in the Big Brothers and Sisters program at one point, which I have an immense amount of respect for. And a fellow named Howard Pallotta had a huge impact on me. The summary of all of that is actively seeking out and asking for guidance and mentorship is a really big one. And not everyone has, we lived in married student housing, which was government subsidized. And I would wander around and just start conversations with people. And it would take a while to find someone who actually wanted to talk to a kid who was so curious. But seeking out a mentor and saying, hey, would you be a mentor for me? It takes a little bit of courage, but it will always lead to something positive. And number two, I have a lot of belief in this ancient philosophy of the Ikigai of wanting to identify what is your kind of reason for existence, recognizing like, what are you doing when you're at the happiest? Is it drawing? Is it fill in the blank? And that usually means that's a gift that you have. There's, there's a, something special there and what you're passionate about. But then if you can kind of cross-reference that with what the world needs most, then you're starting to get closer to being able to articulate and envision something to aim toward. So those two between having a mentor and something to aim toward at least gives you a rough sketch outline of something, a path to start walking down. And Steve Jobs had a famous quote. He would look at himself in the mirror every morning and say, am I excited about what I'm doing today? And if too many days in a row, the answer was no, then something had to shift. Like he's not doing what he's supposed to be doing. You know, I believe we're all here as these instruments that can accomplish a lot. But if we're not in this role in the world where we're serving ourselves and serving the world simultaneously, it's not an effective use of our time. We're not, we're not fulfilling the mission of us. Yeah, I agree. So I want to make sure that I understand what you've said. One way that young people can find the superhero that they are meant to be is to do a little soul searching or take some inventory. What do I like to do? What am I really good at? That's my superpower. And that is what I can use to achieve, basically to realize what I am capable of. Yes. I will put two more add-ons to that. Find someone who's doing the thing that you want to do and go offer to be an apprentice for them. It feeds your own sense of purpose and being. It, it helps uncork that unleash that inner superhero. And so again, that premise of how do you save the world, start with where you are, that also means inside the human development of serving an apprenticeship, finding someone who's doing what you want to do and offering of yourself, I think is is a huge head start in the right direction. I love that. That is so fantastic. So before I ask you to share a challenging time that you've been through in your professional life, and we've all been through them. I have certainly many, many times. Could you just give us a quick overview of what H360 AI is? I went from building an online community, which it's not like we had this great idea and set out to go do that. It just turned into this virtual online community. But once that happened, 
I went kind of the opposite direction with Hatch. It was very much about in-person, analog, offline, face-to-face connectivity. And so, you know, we're four or five, six years into to that. And I started realizing like, well, we kind of need both and that one can serve the other. And we started looking around and trying to find platforms that could accelerate human interactivity and, and face-to-face connections because that leads to collaborations. And the more collaborations that we can facilitate, that leads to more impact. And for Hatch, our mission is to hatch a better world. We want to scale impact by bringing people together to accelerate each other's work. So the platform we started building initially was to solve some challenges around that we have with Hatch. We want these ideas that are birthed at these different yearly cohorts and delegations and summits. Sylvia Earle, who's kind of the, the godmother of oceanic health and the Jane Goodall of the oceans, she's just incredible, runs this nonprofit called Mission Blue. She asked the question at Hatch two years ago, like, how can we create more empathy for the oceans? And so the team that gathered around her included Tom Gruber, one of the co-founders and inventors of Siri, and Eric Ching, who's the head of immersive imaging at Facebook, and this woman who, Paige Williamson from the Audience Awards, was the CEO of this international digital media company platform. They all came together and created this really cool solution for raising awareness, this next generation around oceanic health and, and the creatures within the ocean and so forth. However, there was no easy way for us to cross-pollinate the multiple cohorts of people within Hatch and other years that are also passionate about oceanic health or this project around education. Where, you know, how do we create a platform in which if you're passionate about education or gender and race equality or clean water, like, how can you get an alert that this is, there's new projects that are being uploaded into the centralized database? And so, so we started building this tool as more of a network of networks and being able to, the AI and the machine learning connects you based on your skill sets, based on your interests, your passions, projects that you're working on. I have a pipeline of amazing companies that we're going to be working with, and I think it'll be kind of on the radar within the next nine months. Cool. So, Yero, I try to ask all my time for coffee guests these last two questions. And the first question is, if you could share a, a time in your professional life when you really struggled, and most importantly, how you weathered the storm. Because I think so many young people today look at someone like you and say, yeah, okay, he struggled in his early life, but then everything he touched turned to gold. So if you wouldn't mind sharing an experience that you had, and most importantly, maybe a lesson that you learned as a result of going through that challenge. I mean, I'm still going through challenges. And even as recent as like two and a half years ago, my house was being threatened with foreclosure because I couldn't pay my bills because I had made a decision to stop doing everything else I was doing to make a living and really double down on Hatch, which was a nonprofit, which was not able to pay my salary. And so I just didn't take salary for a couple of years and didn't have enough saved up to be able to do that. And so that was a real tough decision, but also it was really based on having enough faith in my own kind of grit and fortitude and also intention. Think that your intention in the world guides a lot. And if you are leading from a place of selflessness and and really wanting to do the right thing, and I know that sounds kind of corny, but I think that the universe and the people around you will see that and will help assist in making that happen. So for me, I had a a really beautiful mentor of mine, 
fellow named Lee Poole, he had a really interesting way of phrasing this. He says, you know, every night I go to sleep, I lay down on my bed next to my wife. I metaphorically like open up the window and I can feel a little bit of breeze. I can see the stars and I'll put my satellite dish out there and I'll point it up to the sky and say, ready to receive. I'm asking for answers, ready to receive. It's like, it was such an interesting way of some people might call it prayer. Some do. I mean, there's a lot of different ways to define what that act is and, and what it does. But if you don't remember to ask, then there's nothing the universe and the people around you don't know how to answer. And so by practicing writing down the gratitudes, writing down the asks, by audible, you know, making those, those asks audible, SuperDues was, was acquired in a bundle with MySpace. And you mentioned a number earlier that that's an impressive number, but we didn't really see a lot of that. There was a ton of that went to Richard and the investors and MySpace. And we had a small piece of that. And I got debt free and put a down payment on a house and, and invested a bunch of money into starting Hatch. And then it was kind of back to the square one again. Everyone's got a different story. The belief in yourself and, and, and the intention and then the ask, those three things, that's really been the only way that I've been able to, to kind of keep moving forward. And it's, it's keeping a very even demeanor about it as well. It's the ups and downs. If you just kind of level those out and just, I'm an optimist. So I'm, I'm kind of always seeing the best case scenario. And again, for me, at least, it seems to have worked. If you, you'll see it when you believe it. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. And I think there's so much in there. And I think what you've said, Yero, is that your true north is realizing at this point the aspiration, the audacious goals that you've laid out in Hatch and now Hatch 360 AI. And that to you is worth more than all the riches in the world because you certainly could be directing this in a way that you would be getting a heck of a lot more money. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm the founder of a nonprofit that's never going to make anyone rich, that's for sure. We're here to serve. The AI components that we're building out have some intellectual property that I think has some pretty significant potential. But even that is like we're wanting to point it in a way that can accelerate the fact that human potential is exponential, one plus one equals 11. When you bring in the alchemy of two different people together in a way that they can accelerate each other's work, you're making more than the sum of its parts. And I think currently some of the larger platforms that are out there are leveraging all of our own goodwill and, and, and data strictly for profit and bottom line. And I also believe that people are have wisened up to that. I think that business model is pretty much about over. Not forever. There's still advertising is the biggest industry in the world almost next to probably oil. So final time for coffee question. If you could go back to college, back to Montana State and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom you have now, what advice would you give yourself? I got to be honest about that for sure. My thirst for learning has expanded so much since high school or since college even. I just did as, as little as possible during college. I was really interested in filmmaking. That's all I wanted to do. Going back, I would definitely, and I, I continue to give this advice to young people today, regardless of what you're doing, I don't care what your industry is, also take a business class, also take an entrepreneurial class. 
if you can find something around design thinking and, and critical problem solving, take that class. Like there is skill sets. They say that this next generation will have seven jobs and five don't exist yet. And they've found that there are a series of skill sets that, that you'll need if you're going to thrive within those jobs that don't yet exist. And they include self-care and mindfulness and time management and fiscal literacy and critical problem solving. So one of the things that we're building, and it will be also with this AI, is hatchacademy.net. It's a mentorship where you can have a coach that walks you through a series of these different learning modules that you can choose from. It's based on those life lessons that you just asked me about. And and then we started digging in and doing more research. And we feel like there's there's another generation of education that's about to be very necessary. And so we're trying to design for that and create solutions for that. Oh, fantastic. Yarrow, I want to thank you so much for making Time for Coffee today with me and the Time for Coffee community. I can say without hesitation, the world is a much brighter, more loving, compassionate, and empathetic place because you are in it. And just want to thank you so much for everything that you're doing and that you have done. Oh, thank you so much, Andrea. I'm grateful that you're bringing these stories to the world because it's kind of an all-hands-on-deck moment in time right now. So the more inspiration that we can share out, the better. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.